1: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Low Show. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. It is good to have you. I am fresh out of a fun weekend of partying. I turned 40 yesterday on January 24th. So it was so great spending time with family and friends and I had a private chef come to the house and I was planning on doing a whole blowout party, but with all the stuff going on, we had to make some improvisations, but it worked out. It was, it was fun. Did a little pamper day with girlfriends, got some massages going, got my nails done. I have these long diva nails, which I don't think they're going to last very long. (laughs) What else? Got to sing at church. It was just lots of fun stuff. It was a very fun weekend, but definitely had a couple too many sangrias, (laughs) which I, if you guys know me, I barely ever drink. So feeling it a little bit today, but you only turn 40 once, right? Um, but yeah, I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you had a great holiday and you're enjoying your January. And this is a a topic that I think a lot of you guys will be very interested in at this point rolling into the new year. Um, I wanted to say for any of you listening who are wanting to get some support with your health, I would be absolutely thrilled to work with you. And this could be, you know, running some hormone tests. Maybe you've had some symptoms going on maybe, you know, issues with maybe your metabolism, or you think you're having some clues of adrenal fatigue, your energy isn't great. Maybe you're not sleeping great, or you're having like hot flashes or night sweats, maybe a harder time getting pregnant. All these could be clues of uh, hormone issues, adrenal issues. And you know, it's things that, that I see all the time and I would love to help you with that. So if you wanted to get something set up, we can do an appointment either locally here in San Diego or over the phone and basically the appointment is an hour for the first visit. I decide which labs I want to run for you. This is oftentimes, you know, full blood work, looking at your thyroid, looking at your immune system and inclusive inflammation. I check deficiencies like vitamin D. I check all the other nutrients, like all the other minerals and B vitamins, things like glutathione, and then lots of food sensitivity testing, like looking at gluten, do a lot of gut things, looking at leaky gut. There's just so much, and it's just so much more than going the conventional medical route, which oftentimes is just come back when you're sick, you're fine, <laughs> or the symptoms are in your head. There's nothing going on. And I just really, that's not my philosophy. If you feel like something's going on, then there is, and it's important to listen to those clues and get to the root of the issue. So if you want to set something up, I would be happy to work with you. You head over to shine That's my practice website and basically give us a call. We can set something up. I wanted to do a special for the first 10 patients that call. I'm going to do $50 off your first visit, and I will do this until the end of February. We'll probably get the 10 patients um, pretty quick, but if you hear this episode you want to sign up, definitely give us a call, and I would be happy to help you and get you feeling better. And let's see, how do we sift through this? When you call the office, say that you are doing the Dr. Lowe 40th year birthday special and I'll let my front desk know that's what they got to listen for and the first 10 patients will get the discount. All right. Let's jump into the episode and talk all about healthy weight loss and how to do this the right way. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to the show. We are having a fun and very relevant conversation for many of us because this is right after the holidays and a lot of us are going, okay, I need to I need to get going here. And we're talking all about healthy weight loss. Both my guest and I, we kind of don't like this topic because it's just such a thing that it's like as you get healthier, your your metabolism improves, you naturally lose weight. So we both kind of don't like focusing just on weight loss. So we, we talked about that before we started recording, but it's okay. We'll use the term weight loss because that's something that people are asking for. But there's so much more to it than what we hear about in the media, what magazines say. And it's just, it really is not so much about focusing on just those pounds, but it's really about getting your body healthier. And that happens as a natural side effect. So A little bit more about my guest, he's from the Bronx, you'll hear it from his accent. (laughs) Dr. Doug, it's Poochie, right?
0: Pucci, yeah. Gucci.
1: He received his BS like Gucci, from, Gucci, like Gucci. Gucci. Hey, Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> he received his BS from Lemoyne College, Syracuse, New York, in 1981, which I'm—I was born in 1981. Just saying, uh-huh. I turned 40 yesterday, <laughs> so he uh-huh. have been doing this a long time. And continued time. into the field of natural medicine, where he later graduated from New York Chiropractic College, Long Island, in 1987. He's been involved in medicine for over 30 years. He has his practice, Pucci Natural Medicine, right, or Pucci yeah. Wellness. Center in New Jersey and does all kinds of great things, focusing on gut health, brain and nervous system, hormones, which again, weight loss is a natural side effect of that. So, welcome to the show. It's good to have you. And um, yeah, let's Let's talk all about this.
0: All right, all right. (laughs)
1: So, what what made you want to be a doctor anyway?
0: Oh, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, Well, I start, you know, when I went to college. I actually went to college to play baseball. That was my passion and I had oh. high dreams. Yeah. And a couple of injuries kind of got in the way there, but I was also in the pre-med program. So I was thinking about med school when I got out, but at that time I, I was kind of tied to school and I decided, you know, my friends were getting into the business world and I thought, like, hey, I was trying to get out into the business world too. And they did. And I, when I worked, I had some jobs. I had a job working in Germany for a while with a steel trading company, hmm. but it was like about, you know, Two years of that, and I realized quickly that the corporate world was not my thing. Yeah. Uh, my, my calling was in health, was in health and wellness and serving people. That's what my calling was. And what happened was I got introduced to chiropractic. I fell in love with the philosophy of chiropractic. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to chiropractic school. You know, the, the philosophy was we have an innate intelligence, right, that guides us to be well. If we can just remove the interferences and feed the body with the right nutrients, My tendency is towards wellness and just made so much sense to me. And so that's what I did. I went and became a chiropractor. And the thing is, when I graduated and I got into the real world, right, is the, I had to deal with insurance companies to get paid. The insurance company said to me that you're going to be a back pain doctor. Right? And I was like, well, that's not what chiropractic is. That's not what I signed up for. And they're like, well, that's what you're going to do. You want to get paid for money you're going to be a back pain doctor?
1: Yeah.
0: I'm like, so well, fine. Okay. So we had to play the game, right? And that's what you attracted as a chiropractor. You saw us people complaining about their necks and their backs and their shoulders and so forth, right? And, you know, I, I, I learned every technique that was out there. I adjusted everything from like what you call heart adjusting techniques to soft tissue techniques to instrument adjusting, SOT, cranial work. I mean, I did the gamut. Uh, it, was, it was great, I, you know, I, I, certainly I enjoyed it, but I guess there was a point where I decided that I was getting disappointed. I was getting disappointed that not and questioning why it was that not everyone was responding as favorably as I had hoped to to the, the chiropractic care, why some people come in and did really, really well, and other people just did, made modest improvements, and then there was always a handful of people that didn 't respond at all and like what was really the the difference here and why was it right they went to a chiropractor and you had to see them three times a week right and they would get adjusted and they felt pretty good when they left and they come back in two days and you wind up adjusting the same segment over and over again it's like why are they not holding the corrections that you're doing and that was leaving me quite frustrated and i think my first step was i went back to school postgraduate work and i got involved in the field of functional neurology Uh, so i started getting you know certifications there and it's as I began to get into the world of functional neurology, looking at the brain is like, I mean, like the light bulbs went off. I was mm-hmm. like, wow. Like when you started looking at these people and you started looking at them from a brain perspective, uh, I, I was just blown away because it was like, that's really, really where the root where the, of the problem was. It was really a brain issue. And that what was going on in their spine uh, was really a, a, a symptom of that. I didn't know it then as I started getting into that world. But, you know, today, you know, so many people have um, um, autoimmune thyroid, right, mm-hmm. uh, Hashimoto's thyroid. And, you know, the research tells us that when your immune system is putting an antibody marker against the thyroid, that like in 90% of the cases, it's course reacting right, with an area of the brain called the cerebellum, right? which mm-hmm. isn't really being looked at. But the, now the cerebellum is under immune attack and your cerebellum downstream is coordinating the smoothness of movements and the stability of your spine. And so now this, this whole mechanism was creating downstream problems, right? So it didn't make a difference if the person was seeing myself as a chiropractor or the physical therapist, the acupuncturist, or even the orthopedic doctor, nothing was happening because it was really an upstream problem. Yeah. So this was really cool as I got into that, but what was fascinating was that as I was in this world of neurology, is, you, know, you realized very quickly like how energy demanding the brain is, right? And that if you weren't really addressing these metabolic issues for people, they had blood sugar problems, they had hormone imbalances, right? They were anemic, they had infections in their gut and dysbiosis. If you didn't handle those things and correct those things that were compromising energy, you know, to the brain is that actually the, the, the neurological therapies for the brain were actually making them worse, right? It's, 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 they call that exceeding metabolic capacity and i think my first awareness of that is i was had a young you know, a kid here she was 14 years old uh, who had you know just daily migraines basically and i was doing my chiropractic stuff with it but i took what is called an optokinetic tape Are you familiar with that
1: Mm-mm.
0: an optokinetic tape it's like a, it, it looks like a scarf it's just a like a, a band which has you know red and white stripes on it mm-hmm. and what you do neurologically is you're just kind of swiping it to the left and right in front of their in front of their face Right? And their eyes are forced to kind of follow it. And it's a, it's a reflex. So what you're doing by swiping it in different directions is you're creating what's called a nystagmus. Your eye will pulsate to the right and to the left. And so you're basically using it to test areas of the brain. But I, I took this tape and I did like one swipe to the right, second swipe to the right. And I kid you not, she just turned white and she passed out to the floor. Wow. I've never saw that before, but it woke me up. And I was like, wow, I got to do things differently. Here. Nothing terrible happened to her, but it was representing that she just, her metabolic energy, her metabolic capacity was so poor that just doing a very simple reflexive test, you know, caused her neurons to overfire and she passed out. And I knew then that I had got to get sped up and start learning more about that. So I took a deeper dive, again, back to school and getting involved in the world of functional medicine. Mm-hmm. And that's going back probably at least uh, 14 years ago. So really, I think about 12 years ago is when my practice really kind of moved from sort of the old school of chiropractic. It's called my first career into my second career, mm-hmm. which is all really, you know, neurological and functional medicine based.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, beautiful. That's kind of yeah. And I'm sure your patients have had so much better success when you've been tying the whole body together, right? Instead of just rack yeah. And crack them, Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> rack
1: and crack well, them. rack and crack them. So let's yeah. dive in more into some of these, you know, different tenets of, of weight loss. I know that's the topic we're talking about, but really just getting into kind of the underlying physiology of it. And a big area that both of us focus on a lot with our patients is blood sugar so healthy blood sugar. Can you touch on that a bit more and how that affects you know, metabolism and weight loss and so forth?
0: Blood sugar thing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, but I also, you know, people ask me a lot about weight loss and the thing that I always try to get across to them you know, is really that you're not trying to lose weight to get healthy. Right? You need right. to get healthy to lose weight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I need you know, my patients to really understand that concept, right? That the, your, your body will find the right weight when you start getting healthier. Um, and so that brings you to the blood sugar thing, right? Because if there's one issue I think that is so underappreciated, but it's so paramount, it's, it's blood sugar, right? I know we're talking about weight, but it's kind of sidebar. It doesn't make a difference what a patient is coming to me for. If it's mental health, neurological issues, autoimmune problems, you know, gut issues, right? Migraines. If, migraines, yeah. everything, right? Is that if they can't get, if they have blood sugar dysregulation, we'll talk about that means in a second, but if they can't get, a handle on their blood sugar. It, there's, there's nothing else you're going to be able to do for them.
1: Yeah. Right? Right. I mean,
0: you can run all kinds of other tests, you know, gut tests, hormone testing, all those things and give them tons of supplements. Nothing's going to happen if you can't get the blood sugar under control because the blood sugar is a driver of inflammation. Mm-hmm. So, right. So um, when it comes to blood sugar, what is it? Right. We talk about there's, you know, glucose and, and fructose, but when you eat food, right. To, for your people to understand when, when you eat food, your blood sugar is going to go up. It doesn't make a difference what you eat, your blood sugar will rise, The only difference is uh, what you eat is going to cause a difference in how much blood sugar and how fast it rises, right? If we eat, if we're eating vegetables, your blood sugar is going to go up, but it's going to go up slower in a more controlled manner than if you're just eating candies and sweets and junk food, right? But when your blood sugar goes up, a signal is sent to your pancreas to release a hormone, which is called insulin. So insulin, I explain to patients, insulin's a hormone that's released, and it acts like a taxi cab. It kind of picks up the glucose, and it wants to transport and move it around the body, and it wants it to deliver it, wants it to the cells. The action is, what is glucose? Glucose has got to get inside your cell, like all things do. Uh, the party is inside your cell, right? So the mm-hmm. glucose has got to get inside your cell. Uh, so the insulin that's carrying the glucose looks for a place to park itself. It looks for what we call an insulin receptor. It's like a boat looking for a dock. Right, when it finds an open receptor, it can lock on. And then the glucose that's carrying can detach and it can get inside your cell. So glucose is, is literally, it's fuel. It's fuel for your cells, right? So on one side of the spectrum, right, if you have a term called insulin resistance, right, you're eating your food, your blood sugar is going up, the insulin picks up, the glucose is driving around, but it's having a hard time finding a, a receptor to lock on. It's like you're. It's like it's like if we're in the, on a on a boat in the middle of the lake and we want to get off the boat. We want to go to shore because we want to eat.
1: Mm-hmm. The
0: boat has got to get to a dock, right? Yeah. But if all the docks are are taken up by other boats, or if a storm comes in and knocks all the docks out, there's no place for the boat to go.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so we're going to stay. We're going to remain on the boat in the middle of the lake and not be able to go to shore and eat. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So the term is called insulin receptor, where the receptors for insulin are, are turning off. Right? and there's no place to lock on. So if that's the case, then the, in, the glucose that's being carried is not going to get inside your cell. Right? And I refer to that as a fuel delivery problem. Right? Now, the, the opposite side of that would be what is called low – so that would be an elevated blood sugar. Right? So if a person goes, for example, and they get a blood test, or right? well, they do the finger prick in the morning, but if you go in the morning and you get a blood test, then it's a fasting test, you haven't eaten say in 10 hours and you take a blood test and they measure your blood sugar your glucose and it's elevated what what does that mean it means very simply that that the glucose is still in your blood it didn't get inside your cell right Mm -hmm. and that is what insulin resistance is which is also known as prediabetes, right and if it's just even a more severe case of, of, of that, then they call it diabetes, but it's, diabetes is still insulin resistance, right? But the flip side of the blood sugar story is if your blood sugar is too low, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that's known as hypoglycemia, right? So what I like to explain to people is that what I've been running, a, in fact, lots of times, I don't, I mean, even though we run blood tests on everybody, your blood test doesn't always paint the picture, right? right? Meaning that sometimes people's blood tests for, I mean, look at their blood sugar numbers in the A1C, it looks pretty good, but the person who's sitting in front of you is telling you they have blood sugar problems, mm-hmm. right? But the, but the blood test is not reporting. So what I always explain to people is that a good way to look at this is to just be aware. The question is when you eat a meal, does it change your energy or how you feel? That's what you want to know. Right. Uh, the answer is basically it shouldn't, you should be able to eat a meal and go about your business.
1: Right. right? Just feel it should, it should... hungry or not hungry. Not like, Oh, I feel like I'm human again. Yeah. I'm not going to bite someone's head off. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's commercials on that for Snickers bars, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, so you have like on one side is like if you eat a meal and after you eat the meal you're tired, right? Mm-hmm. Or you just say I gotta have this, I'm craving some sweets, right? Or I need a cup of coffee. Or if it's a young audience, you know, I need a Red Bull or something. Those signs are indications of insulin resistance, of elevated blood sugar. The glucose is not getting in, inside your cell, so your body is taking that glucose and it's converting it into triglycerides which is using up energy and you want to bonk. So that means that the carb load was too heavy. You couldn't process it on the flip side, right? If you're eating a meal and you actually feel better, right? Like you just said, you don't want to get ripped somebody's head off, right? Mm-hmm. You feel better. You're more focused. You're more relaxed. The brain fog lifts. And that's a clear indication that your blood sugar was too low, which is called hypoglycemia. Mm-hmm. And the thing I always say to people is, you know, this is a trick question. You know, what's worse having low blood sugar or high blood sugar? And the answer to the trick question is that they're both equally bad, right? Because in either scenario, either scenario is that you're running on empty. There's no glucose inside your tank, Mm -hmm. right? And without glucose in your tank, then your cells can't make energy. And, you know, uh, which organ in the body is the greatest consumer or the highest of energy? And people often think it's the heart, but it isn't. It's the brain, right? And so when we have blood sugar dysregulation, we're going to have a direct impact on brain health and brain physiology.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's not as simple as like, oh, just carry glucose tabs around with you, right? And just pop them. If you, if you feel like you're going to pass out, it's really like there's that underlying physiology that needs to be repaired. So let's talk about that. So how so, how do we keep that stable blood sugar?
0: For your audience to kind of get a handle on that because you just mentioned it is that you know when you're so the term again dysregulation or dysglycemia just refers to both components of low and elevated blood sugar so some people might just err on the side of elevated blood sugar so they're just insulin resistance and some other people are erring just on the side of low blood sugar and then other people kind of vacillate back and forth kind of a reactive hypoglycemia so sometimes during the day they might be low blood sugar states and other times they're the high blood sugar states. But again, so when you have this going on, because your cells aren't getting fuel, right, your cell, especially your brain, is gonna start to freak out a little bit. And so it's going to physiologically go into a stress response, right? And the first thing it's gonna do, it's gonna start pumping out stress hormones. And the number one stress hormone it's gonna pump out is cortisol, right? We all have heard of that. Um, So cortisol is produced by these glands, these little pea-sized glands called the adrenal glands that sit on top of your kidneys. Right, And so we need cortisol throughout the day. We need it in the right amounts at the right time, but too little and too much and the wrong timing of this can wreak havoc on us. And so that's, that's, the, that's the, the process when we're in this dysglycemic state is it immediately starts to cause you know, these surges of cortisol, which puts our bodies into a uh, pro-inflammatory state. All right? So you know, we want to mitigate that. So your question was like, what do you do with somebody who is, for example, uh, hypoglycemic? Right? Well, the answer there is pretty simple is, right, is they have to make sure, number one, is that they're eating more frequently throughout the day to keep their blood sugar from dropping. Right? So will they have to use an app or some kind of a timer on their phone, they need to make sure that every, say, three hours or so that they are eating something. And so that a lot of that is being prepared ahead of time. They can carry some things with them. But also what's really, really important for them, like a lot of people today hear about intermittent fasting, uh, certainly, it's all over the internet. And intermittent fasting is a pretty cool tool. It's a pretty cool tool to reduce inflammation and detoxify, but it's certainly not a good strategy for people that are hypoglycemic. I right? Make sure people understand that because if you're intermittent fasting, you're putting yourself into a hypoglycemic state, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So uh, the key thing with people that are hypoglycemic is that they have to make sure that they eat something within the first hour that they get up and they have to have protein. That is really, really critical. They have to get their day started on the right foot. So within the first hour, they have to have some form of a good, healthy protein uh, to get started and make sure that, they're, you know, that they are prepared to eat throughout the day. Right? And just keeping the blood sugar stable, uh, usually within a few days, they will, they will feel tremendously different. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but the flip side of those people, the ones that have insulin resistance, you know, there's a lot of different strategies there. Number one is to, again, you go back to paying attention to your meals. So the first thing I say, okay, if you eat a meal and you're, you again, you're tired after a meal, that indicates that the carb load was too heavy, right? So I said, okay, let's go, let's walk through an example. You had a meal, and let's say you have a hamburger, you know, on a bun, and you have, I don't know, you have a vegetable and you have a potato, and you're bonking afterwards. So that means that your the carb load was too heavy, your body's not processing those carbs. So of all those foods, what is the starchiest food? And so hopefully they would say, well, let's, we'll start with the bun. And I'm like, yeah, you gotta get the bun. Off. So just have the hamburger without the bun. Have it as a lettuce wrap or something, right? And then if, if you're doing that for a couple of days and you're still kind of barking, okay, then what's the next food on that, that, that dinner plate there that is higher in starch your carbs? You would say the potato, right? So the potato's gotta come out. So now you're back to kind of eating lean proteins and vegetables. So you're kind of trending on that paleo diet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah right? So we want to try to get people to go more paleo and start to maybe get some healthy fats in there um, to, for an energy source. Mm-hmm. But the first thing is to become aware of the meal and say, okay, am I observing? Am I, is my physiology my mood changing? And if it is, I got to get the carb load down. But right? that's the first thing. The other thing with insulin resistance is then, then the, the intermittent fasting is a wonderful tool, right? If you can kind of maybe decide to eat in a 24-hour day, maybe you pick an eight-hour window, whatever it is, you know, uh, noon to eight or, you know, 10 to six or something and the rest of the day that you're, you're not eating food. You drink water, but you're not eating solid foods. So you're fasting, right? When you're fasting, that turns on a um, process in the body known as, as autophagy, which helps to cleanse out toxins at a cellular level, right? But it also helps to uh, wake up the, the insulin receptor. So that's a really good tool. You know, mm-hmm. another good thing with insulin resistance is exercise. There's always a discussion, right, when it comes to Blood sugar management is like, what's the right form of exercise, right? Well, I guess you can say almost any form of exercise is better than no exercise, right? But from the standpoint of insulin resistance, at least you know, the studies are showing us is that uh, some degree of high intensity exercise is the best, right? Those kind of like uh, sprints, for lack of a better way, right? You kind of get that high burst going. And that seems to have a better response to the insulin receptors.
1: Right. Whereas the flip side, if someone's prone to those hypoglycemic crashes you know i w- i see it more so as healing your nervous system getting your adrenal glands stronger and yeah. making it to where you're not so much in that kind of that emergency mode as much and using up that blood sugar longer walks and you know yeah
0: exactly you wouldn't be yeah. in high intensity right if, mm-hmm. you were, if you were hypoglycemic right your, your tank is already empty
1: yeah. Exactly. I ask my patients a lot. I say, do you, do you get hangry? Do you get dizzy? Um, if you stand up quickly, do you you know see stars? Do you feel more wiped out after a workout? All these kinds of things. And then also going back to what you said, do you um, feel so much better when you have a meal? Then these are all pretty clear indications that you have some hypoglycemia or reactive hypoglycemia, and it might not show up on a blood test, right? I mean, there might be a few little specialty tests that we can do to see it, but... You, you might yeah. not maybe that morning when you had your your glucose or your blood sugar taken your glucose maybe wasn't low or maybe your a1c is normal so it can make it look like it's not a problem
0: exactly you get fooled that's absolutely true
1: yeah, yeah. so if you're on that roller coaster you got to really get that thing uh dialed in and and yeah maybe for a while temporarily you got to eat every few hours but hopefully you can get to that place where you aren't so reliant on eating at very specific intervals. And it also changes I and mean, we can tie in hormones to this. Like maybe you just had a baby and it's like, your blood sugar is gonna be more unstable than if, if that weren't the, the time of life that you're in.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean the whole, that's the other thing too. You know, so so many people, especially women, when I think that men are so in tune with their hormones for, you know, for obvious reasons, but I think what people don't, outside of our world of functional medicine don't really understand, and that includes medical doctors, right? Um, is that all these systems are cross-talking. It's like they're not, they're not separate systems. So, yeah, so the blood sugar thing, as we said, you know, leads to whether it's high or low is a, is a physiological stress. And so the the adrenal glands are going to respond by pumping out that hormone, the stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline. And then you have, you know, these collateral effects. So your, your cortisol is going to collaterally have impacts on the physiology of functioning of your thyroid. So it can contribute to, hypothyroidism mm-hmm. uh functional hypothyroidism yeah it, it's going to cross work you know with the uh with your steroidal hormones so it has an impact on testosterone and estrogen levels right i don't know if this is too far right but one of the things you see with with hormones is conversion issues right
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, people don't know about that but uh, it's convert it's very common it's, yeah, it's pretty common stuff but yeah happening all the time but you know so what you see like it, what you see is in women is you know chronic stresses driven you know is one part driven by blood sugar dysregulation again but that stress response can start to upregulate an enzyme in the body known as 1720 lyase and what that enzyme does it'll start to convert a woman's estrogen in, back into testosterone so now their testosterone levels are going higher than their estrogens and that would be leading to that PCOS kind of syndrome right um, and the same things happening in men. the same stress factors is happening in men, except that they upregulate a different enzyme called aromatase. So in men, you know, they wanted this enzyme is going to convert their testosterone levels into estrogens, and they become more mm-hmm. estrogen dominant. And so you see these conversion issues happening all the time, driven by all well, these physiological stress responses.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah, so interesting. It's, and, and in all those situations yeah. that can cause accumulation of fat, right? So it's like, that's why underlying understanding the underlying physiology is important if you want to lose weight and actually keep it off, because maybe the reason that Jane is carrying fat, it might be a totally different reason than why Tom is carrying fat. Um, underneath it, it is, it is a blood sugar um, dysregulation, but how to fix it, you know, there, there are some unique things to address. Yeah, and if your thyroid is underactive, it's going to be harder to lose weight. If you are having blood sugar crashes, your adrenals are going to be firing on to help balance that out. If you are getting spikes in insulin, I mean, it's like putting a lock on your fat cells. So it just really makes it harder to keep it off. You might be able to force your body to lose weight temporarily, but it's going to come back like a flood if that underlying physiology isn't addressed. So I would love to actually touch base on the toxicity component to this because I was just thinking how interesting it was that I had a son about a year and a half ago or so. You know, I gained 60 pounds and I was pregnant and and some of it came off it took a while but i was i found out that i was living in a really moldy house so i moved out about three months ago and after moving out i lost 30 pounds and i didn't do that much different and i know that i mean yeah i did some things like i was doing some of the little bit of the intermittent fasting but i was doing that previously and it was so amazing how fast it came off because of all that inflammation and toxicity
0: so you moved
1: I moved, yeah.
0: You sold the house and moved?
1: Well, I didn't sell it. We're, we're remediating it. <laughs> so I'm oh, going to move see. back um, in see. a few months, yeah. but I did. And it's, I mean, my pain got better. My, my mood got better. A lot of things got better. I'm not, I'm not in the clear yet by any means, but I mean, it was just, it was amazing. Just the weight coming off and I didn't do really much different. So there is yeah, I mean, definitely that's the thing. an inflammation you know- component, right? Toxicity with the mold.
0: Mold is such a big thing. I tell you, it's. Um, I, I don't think people get tested enough for it. I don't think it's on anybody's radar screen oh, not the way, at that all. Sh- way, way that it should be. But um, you know, uh, uh, unfortunately, I think you know, teachers are notorious because of the, the yeah. environments they work in. So many schools have mold in it. Absolutely. Um, you know, and these mold spores are going through the ventilation systems, and again, just you know, ongoing exposure to it.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I know that's a whole th- whole another thing. But yeah, I mean, you gotta if. You know, for you listening, if you guys have been doing all the things and you haven't gone down the road of maybe testing for toxins or different kinds of infections that you might be dealing with, I mean, it's it's worth looking at for sure. Yeah, the other thing
0: too is that is that you know there's a lot of promotions for you know different types of diets out there. And, you know, you always see all these, you know, these things where, oh, lose, you know, lose you know, 30 pounds in two weeks and lose 40 mm. pounds in 40 days and stuff, right? And all these are kind of these major crash diets, uh, which I'm not a big fan of, right? I'm not going to name them, but, you know, but certainly, you know, if a person is mm-hmm. going to be eating 500 calories a day, they're going to lose weight, right? Yeah. But, yeah. But see, the, what people don't realize is that, you know, your body uses hormones like estrogen to literally to store toxins you store toxins in these hormones and you store them so that um, those toxins can be, are, are less harmful to you. So there's some protective components. So as long as you're toxic, you really aren't, I shouldn't say, you're not going to really lose the weight. You're, you're storing these toxins in fat. Right. right. But you know, you're not going to really just drop the fat because your body is trying to prevent the toxins from being I mean, harmful. So when you put on these crash diets, right. And you're just now, you know, like burning fat pretty quickly is all too often what you're doing is you're releasing a high amount of, of toxins, environmental chemicals right into your bloodstream very yeah. quickly, right? And oftentimes your body's not really capable of handling that, right? Because you really should do due diligence. Like A lot of people have, and most people do this in today's world, right? We have the thing called leaky gut.
1: Mm-hmm. You can
0: have leaky gut, leaky liver, and leaky brain, all these things that are leaking, which means that the chemicals – can pass through these barriers and get into circulation and get redistributed, right? So if a person is doing a major crash diet and they're burning fat and they're really dumping a lot more environmental chemicals back into the bloodstream, those toxins can now get deposited back into the brain. And also in three months later, you, know, you have some really weird symptoms, neurological signs and symptoms coming on. So you don't want to just be doing these major crash uh, diets. I don't think. For sure.
1: Well, a couple really of things helpful. for that. One is my patient's, who have the hardest time losing weight are the ones that have a long history of yo-yo dieting, which I'm sure you see too. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other part of understanding this physiology is it's so good to be able to give yourself some grace because your body would much rather store toxins and fat than have it circulate through the bloodstream. Right. So your body does, your body's super smart. Even if you have more fat on your body than what you would want, it's doing it to protect you. So just understanding that stuff, it can, it can really, especially for, for the ladies, you know, we can just have this image of what we're supposed to look like and guys, guys obviously do it as well. But I feel like there's a little more grace given to guys to be bigger than, than for women. You know, we just, we put so much pressure on ourselves. So. When you have more weight on your, on your body than what you would want, just give yourself that grace that it's doing something really smart and it's protecting you. And, you know, just do, do the work to see what the underlying factors are that addressing those will then allow your body to release that. So, and it's done in a much healthier, more sustaining way. It might not be as fast, but sometimes it is fast. Like in my case, it actually happened pretty quick. And what's really crazy too, is I used to have a lot of blood sugar problems too, when Mm -hmm. I was living in that house. I mean, I would get crashes where I'm like, I'm hungry and I need to eat now or I'm going to, I mean, I was crazy (laughs) and I was getting hot flashes. I had to go and like stand in the fridge almost, you know, I was just so, I was just crazy being there.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, lots of times too with mold is you, people want to actually getting higher amounts of, of yeast overgrowth
1: right? Uh, exactly. as, a, as, a, as an
0: effect of the mold, you know? And oh then yeah. That's and I had sugar cravings. cravings. That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's all kind of taken off. my gut got a yeast overgrowth on top of the the, the mold toxicity, right? Mm-hmm. And that kind of then throws you down the, then into the whole dysbiosis thing. And so then the gut's all messed up and just these vicious cycles, yeah. But I do think it's really important that people think in terms of weight and, and really also think in terms of toxicity, right? And that maybe, you know, some of the, the earliest strategies would be like, how can I reduce some of the toxic load? How can I work on a detoxification protocol? versus a weight loss protocol.
1: Right, um, exactly. And that goes to the topic yeah. of, you know, diabetogens, obesogens, these different chemicals that we know have been connected yeah. to research to diabetes and to obesity. It's real. Let's touch base a little more on the hormone, the age group of ladies going through menopause. Um, mm-hmm. how, how is this unique to them?
0: How is the weight issue unique to them? Yeah, or?
1: exactly. Because it's really common around this age group where they're like, I just have this midsection you know, fat that I can't get off that I never had before. What's going on now? I'm eating the same way. I'm exercising the same way. You know, how can we help these ladies?
0: Yeah, that's a tough one because there is a change, but what's, what's actually happening, right? Their hormones are changing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's what's really the, the root of that is this hormones. And so when you think about, when I work with patients like that, again, I come back full circle to toxins. But, you know, when it comes to hormones, as you're going through a change, Uh, I don't know how far down that rabbit hole you want to go with this hormone thing. but As far um, as you
1: want. As far (laughs) as I want.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so as a woman is going through her changes, right? I mean, the first thing you're thinking about is the one is the ovaries basically are starting to shut down, right? I don't know. I don't think I see my own practice. I don't think that women actually understand this part is that. You know, we think that our steroid hormones, like estrogens and the progesterone and, tes- and not testosterone, but estrogens and progesterones, you know, are coming 100% from the ovaries. And that's not true. Right? I mean, the ovaries are responsible for making estrogens and progesterones you know, in your menstrual cycle. Right? Your brain is sending a signal to the ovaries and telling the ovaries when to make the estrogens, at what time of the month, and when to make progesterones at what time of the month. Right? But if you think about it, when a woman is in menopause, met- premenopause into menopause, right, is the ovaries basically, for lack of a better word, are atrophying, they're shutting down. Because it says, no, pregnancy years have passed you. And, right? But you still need estrogen, you still need progesterone. Right, you still need it for cardio, cardiovascular health. You still need it for your brain. Your immune system still needs these hormones. right? So if the ovaries aren't producing it, where are you getting it from? Well, yeah. what you're getting it from is you're getting it from your adrenal glands. Right? Again, mm-hmm. back to those stress glands that also produces cortisol. right? So uh, what I often find with 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 women, uh, men too, but what I also find with women uh, is that very often, even in the your, your men's years, is that very often their PMS problems are not really related to ovarian issues. They're really related to Again, adrenal issues. And so now you start to see that as women start to get into perimenopause, into menopause, right? Because the the ovaries are kind of shutting down. So there's a higher responsibility for the adrenal glands to keep up. But if the adrenal glands are kind of getting beaten up because of other things like their blood sugar is dysregulating, right? Or they have gut dysbiosis or higher amounts of toxins in their body, right? The adrenals are struggling. Yeah. So yeah. So then. Yeah, I would totally
1: agree with that. I mean, I think that's probably the the biggest culprit for these ladies. And yeah, and and then going back into the toxicity piece. So it's kind of all at the same time, right? It's like your ovaries are shutting down, so your adrenals are having to take over for everything. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's like too, but it's like also is that you know you have those women have those hot flashes, right? It's that's that period where they're actually surging estrogen, Mm -hmm. right? But uh, you know, but estrogen itself, even though it's an important hormone estrogen itself is oxidizing
1: Hmm. right
0: so it's it's it has an inflammatory component to it Hmm. right and so when you get those surges your the woman is now actually her her physiology is going into a more of a pro-inflammatory state more oxidative state right and so if the woman now also then is her diet is not getting sufficient antioxidants maybe her levels of glutathione are too low. Um, you know, the oxidative stress factor is outweighing the good things. And so that's also part of why there's weight loss resistance there. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's changing your lifestyle depending on where you are in your life, right? So during this time, slowing down. Making sure you're really pouring on good sleep, and you know you are doing more of an anti-inflammatory type of diet because better than what it was happening before.
0: Yeah, you often see along with the signs of the weight, right? They also have other signs or symptoms they complain about. And number one, mm-hmm. typically they're going to be mood changes.
1: Yep.
0: Right? Maybe they air more on the side of more anxiety. The anxiety is increasing, or maybe they have more days of depression that they never had before. So it's not just the weight, and that's telling you right then and there, okay, that it's all part of a pro-inflammatory
1: response.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's what that's really telling you. So then addressing those factors is what you really want to do. You really want to get to addressing those factors that's driving the inflammation in the body.
1: Yeah. And get some hormone testing done because every lady is so different and they can have symptoms that are similar. So it's good to have the data and we can put some links in the show notes. You guys, we did an episode with uh, Dr. Anna Kabeka. We talked a lot about that kind of this uh, time of life, and then Dr. Carrie Jones, we did it uh, all about the Dutch test and how to really get some thorough lab testing. But test yeah. on guess, that's what I always say.
0: Yeah, test don't guess. You know, just you know, since we're down the rabbit hole a little bit here, though, I think this is kind of an important thing that I like to get across to the people that I work with all the time when it comes to hormones. You know, the hormone game, as you know from your own work, it's, a, it's complex. Um, hormones are not stagnant, they're changing and moving all the time. Um, but there's really, I like, to explain, there's, like, three distinct components to the hormone game. So the first thing is you have to have production, right? So the glands of your body are producing hormones, right? So the brain is sending a signal to the glands to tell the glands to make hormones at certain times and certain amounts. So that's the first thing that has to be assessed, is there a production of it. The second component of hormones is the hormones actually have to do something, just like insulin has to do something with your cell. Hormones have to be able to get inside your cell to do something. So now there's the actual functional component of that is the cell is the hormone actually doing what it needs to do right and certain tests can kind of tell you that and then the third part which is the part that i think that so many people miss out on and it's probably the most important part is the body's ability to detoxify the hormones what they call biotransformation right you know basically through your liver's detoxification pathways so you got to be able to take these hormones right and then break them down through your liver's pathways into metabolites which are like you know byproducts of the hormones so they're not real hormones, and then clear them out. And okay. so if the body is not doing a good job there, if we're not biotransforming these hormones, and if we're not really clearing them out of the body the way that we should, then these metabolites, which are, I would call fake hormones, are backing up into the system. Right? We're accumulating these, these, these toxins, these metabolites now. And those metabolites, interestingly enough, they are actually competing with the real hormone, the cell's receptor, and in actuality, they have a higher affinity, so it's like playing musical chairs, right, and they're beating out the hormones, so now these metabolites are, are blocking these receptors, and so then the actual hormone can't do its job, right, and so, again, it's that bioaccumulation of all of these things, right, and you don't have to do it too much further, but in the environment, environmental chemicals, there's so many chemicals in the environment that mimic estrogens, so we have chemicals, which are like fake estrogens, and then we also have accumulation of these metabolites. So, it's, again, detoxification is such a critical part about hormone regulation and its uh, impact on our well-being and then weight, no doubt.
1: hmm Yeah. So that's a lot of physiology talk, and I could talk about this all day because it's super exciting. But I know for people who are listening, they're like, okay, well, tell me what I need to do (laughs) because I just want to finally get this issue addressed. So let's talk about just some really tangible takeaways for people, maybe like three things that someone listening can start to implement that'll make a difference in this area for them.
0: I mean, again, we don't want to beat it up, but the blood sugar thing is number Mm -hmm. one. Right. Yeah. So that's just, we kind of went through that, just pay attention to how you feel when you're eating a meal, and that's an indication of what your blood sugar is doing. Certainly getting a blood test and looking at that is important, but, you know, your day to day is just, you know, and they're making changes to address the blood sugar thing, right? Mm-hmm. Exercise accordingly. The other thing I think it's so important, you know, when I talk about these hormones and the detoxification, the simple question is, you know, are you moving your bowels every day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't think about that, but it matters. it's, uh, you know, <laughs> that is big time, right? You need to be moving your bowels every day. And some people say, well, you know, I move my bowels every other day or every third day. And that's just normal for me. Well, that may be routine, but that's not okay. Right. You, you need to be clearing things out. So that's your major way. If you just, your body's processing uh, chemicals and hormones, you got to clear stuff out. So you got to move your bowels every day. And so if you're not, right, we need to address those things. And sometimes just like taking some digestive aids supports can help. Certainly things like maybe in some cases, short-term, you can increase your magnesium intake to help pull some more water into the bowels. I and mean, you can discuss that with whoever the doctors are working taking a look at the gut environment. So maybe some probiotics are very beneficial helping the bowels to move, but that's a, a very important uh, area to, to, to address mm-hmm. is, is bowel movements, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So blood sugar, yeah. bowel movements, and yeah, anything else? I would say also just focusing on your sleep big time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, those are the key players, right? Sleep deprivation is a big thing. We kind of, in this country, we reward people for multitasking, right? But the brain doesn't like multitasking. And we think that if we're up and we're getting four hours of sleep and then we're getting down to the gym and working out, we're getting the workout in. No, no, no. Your body doesn't want that. The science is in, okay, adults need seven to nine hours of deep recuperative sleep. Not just, you know, and most of us aren't even getting that, right? We're just getting, you know, what we call light sleep. So you need that deep recuperative sleep. Um, And if you go down to like, you know, teenagers are said to be somewhere between 8 to 12 hours and, you know, infants are somewhere between 14 and 16 hours. Mm -hmm. And so sleep is really a a critical part because it's part of re-regulating your immune system and your nervous system. And that's part of how your body detoxifies.
1: hundred percent. And I would challenge anyone, anyone listening who deals with sugar or carb cravings, just for a week, do one extra hour of sleep and just notice what happens it's, it's astounding how much sleep affects our sugar and carb cravings the next day. So,
0: yeah, yeah, well, and the number one, the number one, the number one reason for insomnia is blood sugar dysregulation. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the number one cause. I mean, there's other causes, but that is the number one cause is blood sugar. If a person's meals, if they're, accurate, they're, they're sugar. if they're sugar. If, if you're eating food and your blood sugar is rising quickly at nighttime before you go to bed, right it's like mm-hmm. two three hours later it's going to come crashing back down again so right. sometime like two or three o'clock in the morning now you've actually shifted into a hypoglycemic state see mm-hmm. what you want to realize is even when you're sleeping your brain is alive and functioning
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: it's it's on 24 7 and so even during the, even though you're sleeping your brain needs energy to operate right and do things and so it still needs a st- stable amount of, of glucose or blood sugar and so if your glucose level drops down too low in the evening Right? Is your your brain is going to send out the stress alarms again, and you're going to release the stress hormone cortisol. And cortisol is your survival hormone, and right? it's going to cause you to wake up. And that's the number one cause of insomnia. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so yeah. yeah. So if people are eating, you know, if you're eating uh, sugary desserts and whatnot, is your or wine
1: sugars- having a bunch of wine? That's a big yeah. one.
0: That can yeah. do it too. Right, just yep. look at. But that would be the first thing you got to be checking. So if you're if you are having those, you know that classic, I fall asleep, but then I wake up and I toss and turn. I can't get back to sleep. It's all disrupted. You 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 look to say, okay, is my blood sugar not being stable? What am I doing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I love it. Any uh, parting words? Final thoughts?
0: I mean, I can go on for hours on this subject, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I, I do think, I mean, one thing, parting words I would say really is, is if you kind of, when it comes to weight, I really think if you just kind of change your headspace about weight, as you kind of said a little bit earlier, you know, we kind yeah. of just, you know, look at our bodies and just, you know, yeah, we can strive to get better. We want to lose weight, right? But you kind of, kind of got to be happy with who you are too, right? But I think if you just really start looking at it more from what can I do? to improve my health and your weight's going to get there. You're going to lose the weight, right? Again, as I'm making a point, if you're just trying to just, you know, quickly lose a bunch of weight, you run the risk of higher toxins. You're not really changing the hormone game. So, you know, if you take, if you're working with like a functional doctor that can help kind of maybe work, work you through this, maybe run the right test, you know, test your hormones, te- do a gut test, see if you have a dysbiosis, meaning if you're, if the bacteria in your gut is out of balance, out of whack, if there's uh, yeast overgrowth or in your case if there's mold toxicity all of addressing all those things getting that information and and addressing that information and making corrections there inevitably is going to cause a person to get healthier and their weight's going to come off
1: Mm -hmm. right so it's
0: often good to do it in a a team response get somebody knows what they're doing and work with somebody yep help you with that that journey
1: absolutely don't do it alone well i love this doc thank you for uh, spending some time with us and chatting all things weight loss and i hope you guys listening got some helpful pieces from this. I, I know a lot of you did and, and also just, you know, hopefully uh, helping you unlearn some of the things that you've learned that maybe aren't accurate about this topic. So um, appreciate it. How can people continue to follow you?
0: There's two ways. One, we have a Facebook page that a lot of people are participating in and we put up a lot of videos there and resources and, and apps for good health tips and stuff uh, they can get to. It's called uh, Root. Root Course Healing, that's the name of the Facebook group. And then they can get to my website, which is uh, Get Well Now, it's G E T W E L L with a middle dash, N O W dot com, dot com. And if they go backslash a video series, there's a, a really cool 10 part video series that's free where we take a deeper dive into functional medicine and uh, get into all that kind of cool stuff.
1: Love it. Yeah. Thanks again, Doc. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to DrLowShow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love, and I'll talk to you soon.